Okay. We are going live momentarily. I will conduct. We are going live in three or five, four, three. Good morning. My name is Jordan, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Lovisa Holdings Limited Half-Year FY23 Results Briefing. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question at any time, press the pound key. Thank you for your patience. I will now turn the call over to Chief Executive Officer, Victor Herrero. You may begin the conference. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to dial in. On the call today, you have our CFO, Chris Loder, and myself, Victor Herrero, CEO. As you are aware, we published our half-year results to the AXX this morning, so we would like to talk to you through them. I will now do a page turn through the presentation, and we are happy to take any questions at the end. Before we get to the discussion on the results, I would like to start with a recap of the business strategy included on slide four, which set out the keys to our success to date and our focus for the future. Our strategy continues to be focused on the continued global expansion of our physical and digital store network and ensuring that we are investing ahead of the curve to be able to execute on our growth objective in both existing as well as new markets. I'm pleased today to present another strong result for the first half of fiscal year 23, which again evidence of a strength in my team, in the team, sorry, the product and the potential of the business. If we turn to page five, we will talk through some of the details of the first half. Our sales performance was a highlight, with a strong sales performance delivering first half comparable store sales up 12.5% versus the first half of fiscal year 22. This combined with the benefit of net 86 new stores opened in the half resulted in total sales being up 44.8% in the first half of fiscal year 22. Gross margin at 80.3% benefit from the price increases in the second half of fiscal year 22 with a strong focus on optimizing gross margins. The cost of doing business was well controlled. We left making significant investment into growing the business. As a result, we delivered an EBIT of $70.5 million, up 
38 38.1% on 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 the prior half. Also note that the, uh, of the numbers we will talk to today and included in our presentation include the effect of the new lease accounting standards. A full reconciliation is provided for you in the appendix to the presentation back to the previous standard of your reference if you, if you need it. Our global rollout remains a key focus and was driven primarily by continuing growth in the U.S., adding a net 30, 37 to reach 155 stores at the end of the half. Recently, in the six months to December, we also opened in seven markets, which I will talk about later. Cash flow from operation was $115.8 million, up 49% on, on, on prior year, reflecting solid working capital management. At the end of the period, we held a net $24 million in ca of cash. And as a result, the board has announced an interim dividend of 38 cents to be paid in April. If we now turn to the financial overview on page six. As I noted earlier, revenue for the half was up 44.8% with comparable store sales of 12.5%. Gross Meyer were higher benefit from the price increases in the second half of fiscal year 22. The company achieved EBIT growth of 38.1% to 70.1 million for the half, and net profit after tax of 47.7 million, up 31.9%. The, the strong performance of the half year meant that we were able to finish the half year once again with a very strong balance sheet position. If we turn to page seven, you can see the sales performance for the half shows, uh, that shows that the benefits of the store network expansion combined with the strong comparable stores sales, driving the overall sales growth of 44.8% on the prior half year. Looking to the regions, Australia, New Zealand, and Asia, cycle temporarily store closures and disrupted trade in the first quarter of the prior year, half year, which helped uh, deliver strong Q1 sales growth, with this performance able to be maintained throughout the half, a bit slowing in Q2. Africa continued to perform well and benefiting from the six net new stores, including two in Namibia. European sales reflect our continued new store growth and new market expansion in the period in Hungary, Romania, and Italy, adding to Poland, which opened at the end of fiscal year 22, resulting in a net 25 new stores to drive sales growth of 32.9%. America con continue 
its strong store uh, rollout momentum, increasing by a net 37 net uh, stores, including two new markets in Canada and Mexico. This helps to deliver a 97.6% increase in sales in the region. Turning to page eight, gross profit was $253 million and at an 80.3% gross margin, up on last year by 190 basis points with the benefit of price increases put through the second half of last financial year. Pleasantly, the price adjustment continue to be well received by our customers, and as a result, have contributed to both sales growth and growth and gross margin expansion. I now hand over to Chris Lauder, our CFO, to talk through cost of doing business, cash flow, and balance sheet. Thanks, Victor. We turn to page nine, we'll talk about cost of doing business. Total cost of doing business for the half year was up 65% on the prior half on a statutory basis, which includes the cost of the CEO LTI plan for the period and is post WSB 16. For ease of comparability with the prior period, we have presented the CODB table on this slide on a pre WSB 16 basis and provided the usual reconciliation between the statutory result and the pre WSB 16 result in the appendices. For comparability purposes, we've also presented this chart excluding the impact of the CEO LTI expense on the period, which was $15 million in the current half compared to 500k in the prior half year. On this basis, the CODB percentage for the half year was lower than that, um, was lower than prior year at 50.8%, reflecting good cost management in an environment where we've faced inflationary pressures and where we've continued to invest in rollout of new markets and structures to manage the growing scale of the business. Just to remind you all, the accounting treatment of Victor's LTI plans requires the amount of each tranche of the LTI to be expensed over its vesting period based on current expectations of how much will vest. As a result of the annual vesting profile of the LTI plan, this results in a higher expense being recognised in the first two years of the three-year plan, with the final amount recognised for each tranche determined at its vesting date and trued up at that point. Turning to page 10, you'll see that the cash generated by the business has again been strong with cash from operations before interest and tax of $115.8 million for the half year, reflecting good management of our working capital. Capital expenditure for the period was $31.8 million, predominantly from new store fiats, which represents a significant increase on the spend in the prior half year as the store rollout continued momentum with 101 new company-owned stores built for the period. Cash tax payments reflect a more normal level following lower payments in recent years, and these factors combined to deliver closing net cash of $24 million, lower than the prior period as a result of higher capital expenditure and dividend payments. Turning to the balance sheet on page 11, you can see that it remains strong, which has allowed the board to announce an interim dividend of $0.38 cents per share payable in April, which we've been able to fully frank as tax payments have returned to more normal levels. As we've said previously, the board will continue to assess dividend levels each half year and determine the appropriate level of dividend based on profitability, cash flows and future growth capex requirements in the context of prevailing economic conditions. The board does not currently have a specific dividend payout ratio and will continue to base dividend on the cash flow needs of the company and the structure of the balance sheet. 
Since the end of the half year, we have received conditional approval from our financiers subject to execution of facility documents for extension of our existing cash debt facilities for a further three years and increasing the facility limit to $100 million to support future growth in the store network. On that, hand back to Victor. Thanks, Jace. Uh, if we turn to page 12, a quick update on star numbers. The key driver of future growth for Lovisa continues to be our, in our global store rollout. We finished the period with 715 stores trading across more than 30, uh, 30 countries with a net uh, 86 new store opening opened for the year, including 37 in the U.S., as well as our first stores in seven markets across the globe in Hong Kong, Namibia, Mexico, Italy, Romania, Hungary, and a new franchise market in Colombia. To add to Canada and Poland that we open at the end of fiscal year 22. Acceleration of the global store rollout remains our priority and we have invested in the right team to deliver this. Turning to page 13, I will talk to the progress we have made in recent times in relation to digital. We have continued our invest. Uh, we have continued to invest in our digital platform to enhance performance, customer experience, and fulfillment capa capa uh, capability. However, we continue to have a long way to go. We have also made investment into digital partnerships, establishing a presence in online marketplaces in Europe with Zalando and Kaufman and in the U.S. with Simon Premium Outlets. We will continue to work to develop further partnership in this space, as it provides us with further opportunity to extend the reach of the Lovisa brand, in particularly in New York markets. In page 14, I will talk to the trading update and, out, uh, and outlook for the coming half of the financial year. Trading for the first seven weeks of the second half of fiscal year 23, so comparable store sales for this period up 12.3% and total sales up 24% on last year. Since the end of, of the half year, we have opened our two stores in new franchisee market, Peru, and the store network currently at 746, including 31 net new stores open for the half uh, to date. We continue to focus on opportunity for expanding both our physical and digital store network, with structures in place to drive this growth in existing and new markets and expect rollout momentum to increase going forward. Our balance sheet remains strong with available cash and debt facilities supporting continued investment in growth. Since the end of the half, we have received conditional approval from our financiers subject to execution of facility document for extension of our existing cash debt facilities for a further three years and increase in the facility limit to 100 million to support future growth 
in, a store, in the store network. So, in summary, on page 15, our sales performance was strong both in comparable stores and new store rollout. Our global expansion delivered new stores in seven new markets across Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Americas, resulting in a net 86 new stores open more than, uh, than for the whole of fiscal year 22, finishing the period with a total network of 715 stores. Cost of doing business remains controlled despite inflationary pressures and the cost of new market openings, allowing for continued investment in team structure to support building the platform for future growth. This delivered an excellent result with EBIT of 70.1 million up 38.1% on prior, on prior half year and an impact of a 47.7 million up 31.9% with our strong cash flow and balance sheet position allowing the board to announce an interim dividend of 38 cents per share to be paid in April. I want to thank you, the entire global LOISA team, for the amazing work that they are doing to deliver these outstanding results. And with that, I want to thank you for your time today, and we are happy to take any questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Sophie Karan from Goldman Sachs. Hi, Victor and Chris. Thanks for taking my questions. Just one around some of the investment you've made in the support team. Can you just talk a little bit about specifically sort of what you've invested in there, how we should think about that scaling as the rollout accelerates, and then I guess more generally with that accelerating rollout, some of the things you're sort of doing to manage um, execution risk? Yeah. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for the question. Um, Chris here. Um, so, I guess just in terms of uh, what we've invested in, so uh, obviously with the number of markets that we've rolled out in the in the period and the number of stores are rolling out at, at the moment, um, we, we need to invest in, in headcount to, to basically support that. So we've, we've now got, um, obviously we've always had the support office here in Melbourne um, as a, the global support office, but we've now got an office in South Africa um, supporting the globe, and then a European office uh, in Poland, as well as the, the office in LA, um, supporting America. So we've, we've had to build out the structures in those markets to make sure that we can execute on on rolling out um, you know, new countries and, and, and the store network. So um, definitely investment in headcount um, at, at all levels, um, you know, leasing teams to um, find the, the new stores and, and get them signed up. And we've also had to invest in uh, supply chain, so we've got a warehouse in, in Poland that we opened a, um, a couple of years ago, last year, um, whenever it was. Um, and uh, what else? So, and then in terms of just our, you know, basically our systems and, and processes to, to manage the larger business, so we've had to um, invest some money in the IT side of things as well. So what was the second part of the question? 
And then you sort of answered the second part, but I guess how we should think about that scaling as that rollout accelerates. Have you sort of set up the structure yeah. in a lot of the key markets or is there more more to come? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've set up the, the structures there, or the, the baseline of those structures, but the, the fact is, and, and we've said this over and over again over the, the last few years, that um, we, we need to continue to invest in those structures. It's, um, it's not as simple as putting the structure in place and then just rolling out uh, hundreds of stores and, and, it, and it all works. There's constant investment in you know, regional management structures and you know, operational leadership to make sure that we can continue to execute the way we need to execute to be successful. So, um, you know, our, our objective there is to, to make sure that we're actually investing you know, ahead of that growth curve. Um, so, you know, don't, don't expect a lot of that leverage just to come through because we've um, got those, that baseline in place. We'll continue to, to hire more people and, and, and put more, more cost into the business to make sure that we're successful. That's helpful, thank you. And then just a second question, just around the um, comp store sales that you've reported second half 23 to date, just wondering if you can give any sort of colour around any regional performance and then just thinking about the price increases that you put through in the third quarter last year, just the, any colour around the sort of timing and quantum just so we can sort of think about how those um, comp store sales trend once we start to cycle the price increases. Yeah, I mean... We probably sound like a broken record at this time, but we, we don't tend to break out um, regional um, uh, comp sales, so we don't give you too much more colour than, than that. Um, but in terms of the price increases, that was, um, I think it was around late February, March last year, it started to flow through. So but that's not not reflected in the, these numbers, so we'll start to cycle that pretty soon. So obviously that means that um, you know, the comps in the, um, remainder of the, the financial year will, will get tougher to, to, to cycle. Okay, that's helpful. And then just one final question before I jump back in the queue. Just on the gross margin, um, any more colour you can sort of provide around some of the moving parts from sort of whether it's a price price point or, or on the cost side? And do you think that can sort of be sustained at that 80% plus margin level? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously a lot of it is from the price Increases, so um, you know you can see that coming through the comps, and you can see it coming through the gross margin improvement. Um, we've done better uh, with our suppliers uh, as well, so that's that's helped. There's, there's been you know, negatives in there as well, so you know obviously uh, the, you know, part of the period the freight costs were reasonably high, uh, currency wasn't necessarily in our favour, but um, we managed to offset that by um, you know the, the adjusting prices and, and negotiating harder. Um, I'm not sure if you've got anything else to add. Yeah, I, I think it's a balance, Sophie. This is Victor. Uh, from the price price um, price increases, but at the same time from from a, a more uh, nimble supply chain where where I think that we are uh, partnering with our suppliers and uh, also uh, uh, the logistic cost no? that is uh, now significantly lower versus... Uh, maybe one year ago. So it's, it's, a, it's a combination of several things, you know, the margin. Great, that's helpful. Thank you both. Your next question comes from the line of Marnie Lysot from 
Macquarie. Hi, Victor Chris. Um, plus, you can hear me. Hey, Manny. Hey, Manny. Hi. Morning, morning, morning. Um, just a few questions for me. Just on like for likes. I just remember back when you were back to the FY22 results, there was some adjustments being made there given you were cycling various lockdowns, etc. Can you just clarify your comp sales growth you've given us for the first half and for early second half? Is that making any kind of similar adjustments? Like what, what, is, what, is, what does that um, consist of? Yeah, it's completely consistent with how we reported it previously, which was um, our comp sales only reflect stores that were open and trading. So where you know, Australia had some markets in lockdown in the prior period, then those those uh, stores are out of comp. So it's only stores that were actually trading in the period. So that's why there's okay. such a you know, between the comp number and the total sales growth um, for that period. Okay, okay. And then um, just another one for me. Um, with the um, run rate of um, early second half, like I'm looking run rates, you can kind of get, um, you can gauge from the early second half um, net new stores. Is, is that a go forward indicator? Because I just recall, like, you know, analysing your business um, over time, that you, you tend to roll out stores in the second half and that being skewed to the back end, or, or is that, is, is, it, is it, you know, obviously, I mean, at this time last year, you were struggling to open up stores because some of the issues with tradesmen. So, kind of just some colour on that run rate and how we think about the rest of the half in terms of rollout. Yeah, I think um, what we said in the full year results uh, call was that you know, the run rate that we were running at, you know, it's a reasonable assumption that we'll continue. Um, at that rate, and, and just doing that, um, I think we're probably in a similar position now that the, the number of stores that we've opened in the, the first seven weeks of the second half, um, we would like to think that we can continue that momentum through the. Um, but yeah, as we always say, it's, it's heavily dependent on our ability to get leases executed, get trades locked in, get on site, and, and get the stores open. So it can be can be lucky, but um, yeah, we'd, we'd like to be able to think. We can continue that in a minute. Okay. And, and just a final one for me. Um, you started giving us the cash flow statement in the, um, in the slide deck in, uh, on a post-data fee um, 16 basis. Um, is it, is it um, if we wanted to convert that back to pre, is it if, um, some of the other dis like previous disclosures, it's a simple addition of the lease payments and the investment cash flows um, uh, you know, relative to what the um, operating cash flows are, is that is that still a fair um, way to kind of get a proxy of cash operating cash flow pre AC sixteen to kind of assess cash conversions? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's the only way you can do it. I mean, um, obviously interest it's already up in operating cash flow up there. Um, that's that's the other part of that. So it's uh, the interest and the um, and the lease payments effectively add up to you. Um, you know, what would have been in the, the rent line, I guess. So, um, so if you're trying to get back to cash conversion, then yeah, that's the best bet, I think. And, and what would you say has been a driver of your cash conversion this past half compared to kind of what it did in the prior half? Um, but I think you've got to adjust for the um, the non-cash component of, uh, of LCI. So obviously that's a big number. Mm -hmm. 
experience. So mm-hmm. it, um, yeah, that gives us a, obviously what looks like a really favourable working capital movement. Mm. That, um, mm. um, but yeah, if you take strip that out, obviously it's not um, as big a number, but it's still still good. And obviously, you know, it's an area we focus on heavily. We in terms of you know, managing our inventory and, and managing our supplier payment terms. Um, so you know, we've obviously we're happy with the job that we've done on that in the in the period. Excellent. I'll jump back in the queue. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Your next question comes from Alexander Mees from Morgans. Thanks. Good morning, Victor. Chris, um, congratulations on a good result. Uh, just uh, firstly, with regard to um, doubling the size of your facility and also talking about accelerating or increasing momentum, um, is it fair to assume that we're looking at more store openings in 24 than 23 at this stage? Would you be disappointed if that wasn't the case? <laughs> we it's, it's always the a recurring question, no? And I think we will open profitable stores and we will open opportunities, no? What what we can tell you is that uh, we are seeing a lot of white space everywhere, and we will continue trying to um, accelerate whenever it's possible in every in every market where we are present, and maybe we will open several other markets. In the future, I think just in the context of the, the facility increase, uh, obviously you know, our existing facility was, was due to uh, expire in a, in a few months' time, so we, we needed to, to renegotiate that. And just with the, the larger size of the business and the, the fact that you know, we're focusing on having some debt in the capital structure, we, we just made sense to increase the facility limit to, to 100 to make sure it you know, sees us through the next three years. That's prudent. Um, just, just secondly, on, on price increases, obviously um, you mentioned that customers have responded well to that, um, and we are annualising those price increases uh, very shortly. So I'm wondering if you're thinking about taking prices up further in in, uh, in, in the third or fourth quarter this year. Um, well, uh, we are, we don't have any plans to increase uh, prices so far, and uh, we will continue being. Uh, uh, or looking at the, at what is the custom uh, our customers, we 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 try to always give them the best offer for a, as a fast fashion a company, no? So affordable prices uh, on a, with a, with a lot of fashion, no? In in jewelry, so I I don't expect any price increases over the next uh, uh, or the foreseeable future. Thanks. And then just um, just finally, if I may, um, more for modeling purposes, Chris, just with regard to the $15 million LTI expense, I'm just wondering, I appreciate the mechanism and the way it's um, expensed over the vesting period, but is it possible to disaggregate how much of that 15 relates to FY23? Uh, can I just say no? Um, <laughs> it's, um, so we're, we're not going to break it out between the different tranches and, and Exactly how much of it relates to which period, because it probably won't help you that much. Because the the, the way that we have to account for it obviously spreads the the expense over the vesting period. So 
Last year, we had to book some of the FY23 and FY24 tranche into FY22. This year, we've got that in both of those years again in this number as well as a little bit of the FY22 tranche. Um, and we had to catch up a bit on what we booked last year. So we, we probably um, um, we didn't book enough. We were, um, our expectations have now increased on what we think is going to best, so we've had to top that up. So um, you know, if, if you look at the number that we've put in there, for the first half, which is uh, around $15 million, um, that's obviously six months worth of that expense, so a full year would be uh, around double that, um, which is obviously higher than the, the total of $28 million, which is uh, the opportunity for the current year um, in its own right, um, which you know, shows us that there is some catch-up from last year in that, that number. But, but I guess the main thing to, to be thinking about is that um, you know, look at what the profile of the expense would be if you were uh, if we were booking it at 100% of the, the opportunity for each year and spreading that across the, the three years, um, and, and and that will give you an idea of roughly where we're where we're thinking. I'm, I'm probably, I, I can't give you a you know, direct answer on that because that would be basically giving you guidance, which we're not doing. It was worth a try, there, wasn't it, Chris? Thanks so much. Your next question comes from the line of Wilson Wong from Jardin. Hi, Victor and Chris. Can you just talk to the market opportunity in relative store economics and the new markets in Romania, Peru, and Colombia? Uh, well, uh, Colombia and Peru is uh, is through a, a franchisee partner, so um, there is uh, opportunities, and uh, it's a, both of them are potential markets. And uh, regarding Romania, as you may know, is one Eastern European country, a European Union member, and uh, with a more than 10 million people with a kind of a disposable income similar to to Poland. So I think uh, the potential of the market is there, and uh, uh, we believe that uh, we can uh, we can have a rollout, a considerable rollout of restores there. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I think just the, um, the main message also. I mean, these, these markets are brand new. Um, yeah, we we don't tend to to the finer details of, of new markets until we've got some experience there because we, we will just be you know, obviously guessing we need some experience before we can do that. And what are you looking for in particular in that trial period of, of whether you sort of step up investment in that in those markets and or whether you sort of um, sort of tailor it off? We're, we're looking for the stores to hit the air investment hurdles. I mean that that's that's about it. So we obviously have we make assumptions on what we think the stores are going to do in terms of um, you know average sales per store, um, what's the wage cost, how much is the rent going to cost, how much does it cost to build a store, um, and so once we've rolled out a few stores and, and had some trading experience under our belt, we can see whether those assumptions are right and they're actually going to hit our hit our hurdles, um, and that, that's about it. Sure, and just on Europe, obviously challenging trading conditions in the region at the moment. Like how have the visa stores 
been trading sort of on a like-for-like basis, any sort of colour give there uh, would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's, that we don't give um, breakdowns of our like-for-likes by geographic region, and it's, what, you, what you can see is in the uh, in the slide deck and in the accounts is a, is a breakdown of total sales by region. So um, you can the European sales were um, you know, up nearly 33 percent on the prior year. So you can obviously look at the increase in number of stores. Um, versus that uh, percentage to see roughly how stores are trading in terms of comp. Um, so we have, we're, we're, we're happy with how Europe's trading with those sort of numbers coming out. Sure. So my last question is just around the competitive environment. Uh, how are you sort of seeing that? Any sort of changes over the last sort of six months or so? And because we're just looking at the gross margin improvement, implies there hasn't been much pressure to discount product, um, unlike some of your peers. Yeah, well, the competitive environment is still there, but uh, at the same time, it didn't change so much during the last six months. Uh, and, and regarding the, uh, well, uh, we we are a, a fast fashion company with affordable prices, no? So we don't rely so much on on discounts, no? More than in value and uh, in in our uh, product proposition. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sam Teeger from City. Hi, Victor. Hi, Chris. Thanks for the presentation today. Yeah. Thank you. So, like for like sales up 12.5% this half to date. Uh, I'm not asking to get into regional performance because I understand you don't discuss it, but you know, are your comps positive all around the world, or are there any signs that your target consumer is softening? I know in the past you've provided high-level comments about Asia, so um, just trying to get a sense of, you know, is this lower age customer demographic being really resilient right now, or is there any signs of softening anyway? Yeah, I, I mean, that's just another way of providing you with um, market by market commentary, Sam. I mean, we've talked about Asia previously because it was a, you know, a sizable impact from COVID that was a hangover, so it lasted longer than other, other markets, which thankfully has turned around, as you can see from the total sales numbers coming out of that region. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, obviously um, there's plenty of talk out there around, um, you know, softening retail trading conditions. Um, you know, if we're all operating in the same that same environment, um, it remains to be seen how resilient our customer is. Um, you know, we'd like to think that they are because of the nature of our business and the nature of our customers. But um, you know, so far, it's, it's probably a bit early to, to tell and comment on that. All right. And, and given the upside in the debt facility, um, you know, just keen for any comments on your appetite for acquisitions. So far, we don't plan to um, to do any acquisition. And in case it's happening, will be opportunistically whenever it's, uh, something is presenting that uh, we don't have any plans to to have any any further acquisitions. Right, and, and, and Victor, you know, since China's relaxed the quarantine requirements, uh, have you been up there in recent times, or are you planning to go there soon? 
I haven't been recent, recently to Hong Kong, but uh, clearly it's a place that I, I plan to go because, as you know, uh, part of our supply chain is coming from China, and clearly it's an important thing, but as well, as I mentioned before, once uh, there is less uncertainty of the market, maybe we'll consider in the, in the foreseeable future uh, to open China. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Alan Franklin from Cancord Ingenuity. Good morning, guys. Thank you for your time. Um, just something for a bit of context on the OPEX side, uh, obviously excluding the, the LTI, just sort of note, noting um, it looks like your employee costs are sort of down as a, as a percentage of revenue, but they're sort of lifting other other costs, just any sort of colour you can sort of talk to, appreciate you're, you're reinvesting in different parts of the business, any sort of colour on, on the other costs and, and what's lifting lifting that as a percentage of revenue? Yeah. 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 I'll give you a little bit of colour, Alan, thanks for the question, but um, yeah, obviously the, the wages as a percent to sales, if that's, that's what you, you're looking at, if you strip out the LTI, uh, it's gone down. Um, yeah, that obviously benefiting from 12% comps, so that's um, you know, the, 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 the rate of increase in, in, in wage rates haven't gone up by that stuff. And that's probably what you're seeing there. But um, And then obviously that line includes investment in the support structures uh, you know, that I, I mentioned earlier to, to drive the growth. In the, that other expenses line, it's the, the bucket that everything else goes into. Um, there's, you know, we've had to spend money on opening new markets, so that doesn't come for free. It's not just spend a, a few hundred bucks on setting up a company and, and off you go. There's um, a lot of work to, to do in terms of understanding the requirements of each of those markets, um, you know, lawyers, accountants, you name it, um, to make that work, working out how we get things through customs um, and, and setting our systems up to actually be able to trade in, in one of these markets because it's not straightforward in, in some, some countries. So so in that other expensive line, yeah, there's there's definitely cost for, you know, IT consultants, lawyers, accountants, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um and just just sort of pivoting on the um digital marketplace strategy, um to what and in Europe in particular, I guess sort of what what are you trying to drive from the from those from those marketplaces and sort of adding a product in there is, is, is a brand brand awareness first and foremost to then try and drive consumers into your into your stores. Well, both. No, I think uh, you you are increasing your brand relevancy uh, because it's a B two C business. You know, it's not really a B two B. And uh, with uh, opening in Zalando, you know, it's a major marketplace, for example, in Germany. You know, so. We have uh, more than 50 stores in Germany, so it's a, a complementing our omnichannel strategy where, where we have uh, several platforms. And uh, basically what, what is important to say is that it's a, it's a kind of another uh, store no? inside, the, inside, um, inside Germany, for example. No? So it's, a, it's an omnichannel strategy where, where we believe that a part of our own platform as well, we can uh, we can develop our our brand and uh, and and uh, continue increasing the number of customers by 
but in some marketplaces. Sure, thank you. That's all for me. Your next question comes from the line of Arnyan Narosi from Baron Joey. Hi guys. Um, see for me. Um, first of all, your comments, um, Chris, on the fact that you mentioned don't expect operating leverage um, or significant operating leverage. If I just look at your EBITDA margins, excluding the LTIs, it's about 29% this half. Obviously, first half is bigger than the second half. But that's sort of back to pre-COVID levels um, in terms of margin. So given your comments and what you've just delivered, is it fair to assume that, that sort of this is sort of a steady state margin, at least as you sort of accelerate your openings and, and plan for your next phase growth? Look, I'd, I'd love to think so. Uh, just the, the caution is that we invest where we need to to, to drive that growth. So, you know, we're, we're not fixated on on that topic, we're fixated on what do we need to actually um, structure the business to be able to open the store that we want to open in, the markets that we want to open in, um, and, and putting the structures in place to, to do that successfully. So, you know, I, I, know, I generally don't answer this question with a straight answer very often, but it's basically that we just continue to invest, and, and that, there might be lumpiness in there, so it's, you know, we, we could invest more in the second half than we did in the first half, and, and and it goes the other way, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not a, an easy question for us to answer because we're kind of reacting to how quickly we can roll out and what we need to invest in at any point in time. I guess another way of asking it is, if, has there been a lot of cost investment in the back end of the half that's been annualised in the second half? So to your point, in terms of that lumpiness, I mean, should we be sort of more than annualising the first half cost run rate just because there's this cost that haven't fully hit the PNL in the half? Not, not um, in any major way, Ari. I mean, there's always aspects of that, but I don't think there's anything major that I'd say, yes, that you need to adjust for that. So what you're saying is probably reasonable. Yeah, okay. Um, and just on the um, sales per store, I mean, if you just go back two years ago, you were under-trading on the stores because you had COVID, shopping centres impacted. Are you over-trading now? So, like, when you look at your sales per store metrics in each of your regions, are you getting the catch-up demand benefit at the moment, or are you comfortable with where your sales per store stores are versus the target levels, and are we turning over to the price increase um, in there? If you look at our comps over the last couple of years, obviously they were extremely strong, um, and that's that's hard to, to maintain in the in the long run. Now, doing that through the the price increases that we had last year, obviously that's baked in now, so so that um, that's been a step change in you know, the sales per store, um, but obviously you know, different markets have different um, e economics and different levels of sales per store. Um, and as we add you know, new markets in Eastern Europe, so those markets don't tend to have as high a sales per store as say in, in Australia or you know, somewhere like um, you know, Switzerland, the more um, you know, higher income markets. So yeah, it will change over time, but um, I guess the, I think you, you asked, have we been over trading? Um, hard to say. I mean, we, we given the comps that we were doing, you could argue, yeah, we maybe we were, but um, we'd have to continue that. Uh, but obviously, the, the conditions are 
um, in, in you know, economically around the world are not necessarily going to get any easier in the second half. So you know, that, that's, that's going to be a challenge for us. Okay, and then just the price increase in magnitude on that, is, is, is it fair to say for that 10% price increase blanket across, like just, it, it's all else equal a 10% increase in the sales? Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't shared the percentage and we're not going to now, but you can you can see the comps and obviously you know, come up with that number somehow. So it, it's obviously, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 5 to five to 10, depending on what range we were, we were looking at at, at the time. But uh, we're not going to give an overall percentage. Yeah, but just very last one on your gross margin. Um, you're not obviously giving guidance, but if I just think about the drivers for your gross margin into second half 23 and FY24, you've, you've got the price increase that's annualised, that's basically nearly annualised, but then you've got a leasing currency working against you. Can you just talk through, is there any offset to that? Because from what we understand, the cost you're getting from factories shouldn't be getting any worse. In fact, you might be getting some discounts because there's more capacity. So just to, can you run us through the pluses and minuses and through, are there going to be more minuses and pluses over the next six to 12 months on the gross margin? Yeah. I, I, I guess the, the the benefit from the, the price increases is, is, is baked into that. So, you know, that continues through the second half. And historically, if, if you look back, yeah, second half gross margin Tend to be lower than the first half, um, just because of the, the, the trading period that it contains. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, I guess when, when you're looking at it, um, you just sort of assume that we um, follow a, a similar sort of pattern than we, we have historically, you know, first half, second half, and the you know, currency will have an impact. That's obviously not as strong as where where it was, so the second half of last year. But then, up in, in you know, better better buying and, and cost prices. So, um, yeah, probably avoid your question completely. But um, it's, it's hard for us to give you a definitive idea here are all the components and, and links to that. Other than what um, we're not expecting a major thing, I guess. What is your rate for second up twenty three and five twenty four, please? So we're not calling out the, the hedge rate. Anymore because it's, the, the, a, the US dollar is what we've historically talked to um, is less relevant now. I mean, that's obviously a, you know, it's still a large part of the business, but the, the euro, US dollar is a, a big part now. And just the, you know, the impacts of translation back, of, of results back from, uh, from other currencies is also having a you know, reasonable impact on the, on the numbers. So we're, we're trying not to get everybody fixated on that one number, but you can, Think uh, compared to last year, it, it will be lower. So um, you know, probably one two cents lower than what it was at that point, maybe more. Um, but um, yeah, it's not as big an impact on the on the gross margins as it used to be. One one thing that I wanted to, to tell you that you mentioned that I totally agree is that there is plenty of opportunity with suppliers, you know, in order to get better prices. Now that there is a capacity opportunity. You know? That's great, Carla. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Your next question comes from the line of John Hind from Wilson's. Oh, good morning, Victor and Chris. Thanks for taking my questions. 
um, if I may, can we perhaps unpack the trajectory of sales post your last update? Um, and can you give us some colour perhaps about how important the cyber period in Christmas is to LaVisa? Um, and is it a focus? Is it a focus for the customer now on a global scale as well, or, or more regionally um, a focus? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that, that whole period is becoming bigger and bigger globally. Um, so there's no doubt that, that um, yeah, there's, there's, there's sales being pulled into that period that maybe weren't there before. But Christmas is still a huge. Um, Part of our, our sales for the, for the year and for any retailer, so there's there's no you know, major change in that, um, you know, compared to where we have been. So there's not really anything further to add on on that. Um, and I, I guess just in terms of trajectory of of comps and, and and total sales, I mean, you can you can see the the, the numbers we put out there. So hopefully they're, they're pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, so you, so you essentially you stayed at that same trajectory post the AGM update um, by the looks of things. Does that, does that, if I'm reading that correctly, and does that mean that the store openings, which were amazing, um, they were much closer to the Christmas and cyber period this year? But when you say store opening, you mean did we open uh, that, that, stores later in the in the year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell from I can't remember what the store count was when we announced at the AGM, uh, but uh, it certainly it went up quite a few from then until the end of December. We we opened a lot more stores in December than what we would normally do. Um, you know, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, and all that sort of thing. Mm. Okay. Um, and um, I guess the run right now for stores is is really you know, it's really attractive. Um, I think we can all do the math on the, you know, what it implies um, for perhaps by the end of 23. Um, you know, you've got your funding in place now. What would, what are some of the impediments that we should look for? You know, on, on, on perhaps not achieving that run rate. Is it does it just no. come down to locations? No. We are becoming a, a global brand, no? and uh, we are a global brand already. But there is some uh, macroeconomical or macro uh, headwind that uh, you cannot expect it. Maybe I don't know. Europe will be soft because of the war, or or or, or U.S. will will have a a small crisis, you know. But uh, so far, uh, we have been managing all these things, and uh, sometimes. Some some area is not performing, but the other areas are performing and are basically comping uh, uh, to to our forecast. No, so uh, that's that's the the good thing uh, about having a, a global brand and and being present in in 30 markets. That sometimes some markets are not performing uh, as good as others, but the others are overcoming the 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 bad performance of of of, of the or the markets that are not performing. So uh, this is something that is very important that uh, adding several markets is adding as well flexibility in terms of how, uh, where it's going to come our performance. No? 
and uh, we are not really focused only in, in two markets. We are focusing in, in all the markets in order to try to uh, continue uh, capturing the attention of our customers and, and trying to, to understand the needs and motivation of each uh, individual market. Yeah, thank you. And how, just to take that one step further, how, um, with the new um, systems and infrastructure in place, how nimble um, is LaVisa with its store rollout program? For example, if the, I don't know, if the geopolitical issues eased in Europe, um, in, in areas where you're not at the moment, how quickly can you, can you get on the ground and, and hit um, locations where you're not at the moment? Yeah. I think we we've been improving uh, over the last uh, few uh, years on 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 this, and I think we are becoming a very nimble organization in terms of how we open uh, net uh, more than 80 stores no, during during the last uh, six months. So I think it's an important milestone no, in the in the company. And I believe that I mean we will continue trying to be as as effective and nimble as as possible, no, in opening markets anywhere, no. We open seven new markets, so it means that I mean we open we have uh, 25% more markets that we were having six months ago. So I I think that uh, is uh, hard work, but at the same time uh, uh, achievable. Yeah. Thanks. Just one more from me, and not wanting to split hairs or focus on a negative, given you know the store growth you've achieved. Uh, I'm just looking at the 17 store closures. Was there anything that you learnt that didn't work in those 17 stores that you can share with us, uh, or was it was it just bad locations? Yeah, I think if you break down the 17, um, it was I think five of them were relocations. So that's Exactly what you just said, that the, the location of the store was more than what we wanted and we made do for for the term of the lease, but then on renewal we've agreed the landlord to move to a different spot that's better. So so that's we count that as a closure and a, you know, obviously and then a, a new store opening in the same mall. Uh, so I think there were five of those. There were four um, closures in the Middle East from our franchise partner. Um, so if you if you strip those out, then it's it's actually not that big a number in terms of the overall scheme of the store network, and it's, it's part of our normal process. We get to the end of the lease, uh, negotiate with the landlord. If we're not performing as well as we want, then if, if they're not willing to reduce the rent or, or make the economics work for us, then we'll, we'll happily close the store because there's no point holding onto stores for the sake of it. So you know, there's always learnings in those those things. But I mean, hence particularly 10 stores or, or less out of um, 700, it's, um, it's, not, it's not that many you get wrong. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Right, thanks very much, um, and congratulations on such a strong result. Thank, Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Julian Mulcahy. From ENP. Uh, hello, Victor. Just a, a question on your read on fashion trends. And I realise that Levis is not dependent on any particular dominant trend, but you still need a trend. So, with this sort of minimalist fashion um, trend that seems to be developing on red carpets, fashion shows, that sort of thing, are you all worried that it's going to impact like for like stores 
Well, for the time being, so far so good, no, in terms of like for like stores. I, I think what, what I can tell you is that we are continuing over the history of Lovisa is we we want to be the fashionable option for any customer that wants to buy a fashion with affordable prices. No? And I think that we have an innovation department as well where we are uh, basically uh, working on, on, on also new ideas as well and uh, and at the same time trying to capture every single trend in our stores as you can as you can see we have uh, uh, several SKUs where we try to be a little bit the the fashion option no for for jewelry category in uh, in in every single market not only in in uh, and and one 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 thing that i think is prove us right in our strategy on 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 fashion is that basically we work in, in several markets. No, It's not only specific to the southern hemisphere or the northern hemisphere or or very focused on the U.S. or very focused on Europe. No? I think that's, that's an important thing to say. Oh, but but if, if the fashion becomes um, not wearing jewellery, can you quite easily just you know, accelerate the store while even faster just to compensate? Uh, well, we will deal with that problem in case it's happening, no? but I, I don't expect that this is going to happen uh, over the next few uh, few months or maybe years to no? come, because at the end of the day, we are a, a fashion company with an element of affordability, no? so people will continue, I think, buying jewelry, and, and in case it's not so fashion to buy jewelry, Maybe they will they will come to us you know, because uh, it's less costly than some of our competitors. Yeah, cool. And just finally, I um, saw so you've opened a store in Taiwan. Does does that opening in that market first have any restrictions on what you could do into China? We we haven't opened a store in Taiwan, uh, Stuart. I saw it on LinkedIn. Oh, it hasn't huh? opened. Oh, coming. Mm-hmm. Not yet open, not yet uh, coming. We will, uh, whenever, whenever we open, you will find out. No, and uh, oh, but, it, it, but then, you know, it, at the end of the day, you overcome any restriction anywhere. You know, at the end of the day, what we want is to be close to our potential customers, and we will open wherever we believe is the the right. Uh, Julian, for example, there are plenty of global companies that they have uh, stores in Taiwan. My previous company, as you may know, they have, uh, I don't know, if more than 20 stores in Taiwan, and it's not affecting at all the, the China China market in terms of relationship or, or anything like that. We tend not to be too uh, political uh, thinking no? when, when we open any market. It's more about if we believe that there is fashion uh, jewelry cons- uh, customers on that particular market. Yeah, cool. And I just, Chris, did, did, so you, you said that the price increase, the average was 5 to 10%, but you didn't want to be specific. Is that right? Uh, we did that range. You just assumed. Right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Enjoy. Your next question comes from the line of 
Sophie Curran from Goldman Sachs. Hi, Victor and Chris. Just a quick follow-up from me, just around the CapEx. Um, could you give us a rough split on expansionary versus maintenance CapEx, and then how should we think about um, the step-up in CapEx, just noting differences between different markets and, and where that rollout is going to be concentrated? Yeah, um, I'm probably going to give you a split in the dollars that we actually spent, but um, I guess a, a big part of the, the CapEx that we spent in the six months was on new stores. Um, you know, we, we probably didn't get through as many um, refurbishments as what we would have liked to in the, in the half, so it isn't a, as big a part of that number. Um, but you know, if, you, if you're looking at it, you know, trying to forecast out what you think that demand is, I mean, generally every lease as we renew it, we look at whether we need to spend CapEx on that store to get it back up to standards, depending on how long ago the last um, receipt was. But if you assume you know, average lease term so, you know, five or six years and you know, re refurbing stores on renewal, um, but you know, probably on average, probably a third to, to half the normal fit-out cost of the store, depending on what we decide to do, then that gives you a benchmark for, for what we might need to spend on an ongoing basis. Great, and sorry, just on the um, any sort of major differences between fit-out costs in new markets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the U.S. we've said um, time and time again is is the most expensive market in the world for us to build a store in. Um, so, you know, it's in a lot of respects, you know, more than double some of the other markets um, in terms of what it costs to, to build a store. You know, we we try to offset that by getting a landlord to to help pay for the the, the fit out because a lot of the time it's the extra cost is is caused by their requirements. Um, and we've been reasonably successful in that, which has helped um, bring that net um, capex for the U.S. market down closer to what we spend in a you know, some of our other markets, but still still above. Um, so you know, as as the rollout is skewed towards that U.S. market, that means that the, you know, the capex that we're spending is is higher, and obviously that will have a flow on effect in depreciation over years to come. Great, thank you. Our final question comes from the line of Aryan Narosi from Bear and Jelly. I got just just a clarification on the LTI. Um, last year in the FY22 result, you you disclosed in the accounts that there was a five million dollar provision or cost taken for FY23's LTI. So is that fair? to assume that you've already provisioned for $5 million. So if you added, there's an extra cost that's been provisioned for both this year and next year. So can you just give us a bit of color around how you think about the catch-up and, and, and the profile of that fee? It could be confusing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure where you're getting the $5 million from, Arian. Is that, that may just be a cash component. Of, where, where are you getting that number from? Oh, I think the REM report, the LT, LT tranche to an investing schedule. Um, so there's $4.99 million that was expensed in the FY22 result based on the FY23 investing assumption, and then another 2.9 mil for FY24. Yeah, sorry, I'm just trying to find the, the page that you're... Yeah, yeah. Page, page uh, 
point twenty four nine point three. Yeah, so that, that's just the equity component. Um, so there's a if you, if you think about it in terms of the the opportunity for this year is, is 28 million in total, 3.6 of that is in cash, and the rest is in equity. So that like the number you're looking at is only the equity component. Yeah, but it's, it's fair to say that you've already provisioned for five million dollars of that equity component last year for this year, basically. So it, yeah, correct. I'm just not talking the whole the whole picture, but um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. exactly the point I'm making earlier. I think and then there's a Sorry, okay. Oh, and then there's an extra cost you've incurred this year based on FY24 as well. So you've there's a there's a provision increased provision that you made in this this half on for the FY24 um, on sale as well. Okay. So the true the true cost for first half 23 is materially lower than the 15 million that you've called out. Like the true LTI. That you would have incurred if you hadn't provisioned would have been materially lower than fifteen million dollars. Um, it would have been it would have been lower. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what your question is though, because um, it, it is it is what it is, right? So we've got a book at an amount in relation to the LTI this year, part of which um, relates to. What we could have booked last year that we didn't, but we've had to catch up some of that because our assumptions around forecast profits for this year and next year have changed. Um, so we've had to catch up on some of, some of that that relates to this year's LTI and some of that relates to next year's LTI. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. That, that makes sense. Perfect. Thanks. I guess the, 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 probably the, the point to remember though is that the, the cost in this year is as high as it will be because next year it, it will be a much lower number because we've had to provide for next year's LPI last year and this year. So it will be much less to, to catch up on next year. That makes sense. Has, has the LTI had any impact on morale when, when there's a large pay divergence um, from the CEO to the rest of the business, or have you seen pressure, upward pressure on the remainder of wages throughout the business based on that LTI, or or not? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Not a topic of conversation around. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thanks, sir. This is the operator. We have one final question from Stephen Floyd from NIL. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm just a private investor and um, love your work. Um, in the media, there's been some com comments about unhappy employees and some legal action. Um, is that being addressed? And are the customers, are the employees happy? Every time I go into a store, the employees always seem hardworking, hardworking and very happy. But um, and I'm surprised to see that in the media. Um, what, what's going on? If we we don't uh, disclose anything. The only thing I'm, I'm I'm you can see the results. I think the people are are very happy with the results inside the company, and we are very happy with the. With with the team, you know, one of the things that I we mentioned on on the press release is that we 
we want to thank you, the, the team, you know, because this is not really the, the big performances by by all the team, you know, that is um, working with, uh, with Lovisa. And we are very proud of them, and I think that they are very happy and proud of, of working with us. Okay. And working for Lovisa. Yeah, that, that's what I see too. And that's why I was surprised to see that in the media in the last um, few months. Um, some very unhappy employees um, claiming that they were overworked and having to deal with bad conditions. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, thanks for the question. Thanks for taking my question. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm just a small private investor, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. With no further questions, I turn the call back over to Victor Herrera. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully uh, we will see each other on, uh, in six months' time, and uh, we can continue talking um, more about uh, Lovisa performance, and we'll see some of you guys uh, within the next coming days. Thank you very much.